Can you think of a time when there was something that you were looking forward to that was just looming in your mind in the best possible way? You're counting down the days and everything else just seemed to pale in comparison. Now maybe it's a specific event that you had tickets to or specific special celebration, or maybe the arrival of a loved one who'd been away. Maybe Christmas is that for you and you're experiencing that right now. That sense of anticipation, that buzz in the air, that something special is coming. We talk about this season leading up to Christmas as Advent, as the anticipation of something coming. And for followers of Jesus, even 2,000 years removed from the moment of the event, it's a celebration of the most significant coming. Jesus' disciple John wrote about what Advent really is, saying, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's this dwelling among us, the glory of God right here with us, that's so significant, so game-changing for us, and so worth revisiting, re-anticipating, and celebrating. The word for Jesus dwelling among us is actually a reference in the Greek language that points back to an interesting story in the book of Exodus that we've been studying for much of the last year as a community, and we're going to be continuing with in the new year. And actually, as Mike hasn't let me preach any of these, I'm going to give away the climactic ending to the book today. We've seen how the Israelites have come out of generations of slavery. They're landless, they're homeless, and they're impoverished, having just experienced 450 years of exploitation and hard labor. And now they're wandering in a desert that doesn't have sufficient resources to support their survival. But God, who's been leading them from pillars of fire and from mountaintops, gives them specific instructions And then an incredible promise. Speaking to the leader of the Israelites, Moses, God tells him to pass this message on to the whole community. God says, have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. God, who miraculously rescued these Israelites from slavery, finally exposes the ultimate purpose and grand intention behind the whole thing. To take this relationship to a new level by actually living among them. But like any healthy relationship, God shows that in order for love to truly be present, there needs to be a mutual giving between them, a giving of the very best of themselves. And for God, God will give God's own perfect presence, the presence of their creator and their liberator right among them. And God invites the Israelites to build this sanctuary, this place where God will dwell among them by giving their very best as well. This is what it says. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices, etc., etc. I mean, this isn't a moment in the story where the Israelites would seem to have much to offer. Their material wealth largely came from their former slave owners who gave them some gifts on the way out of town. But here, God is asking them to give up not only from what little they have, but the very best of what they have. Not that God really needed the stuff. I mean, God didn't need the puny wealth of the Israelites to build a small portable tent so that God could set up camp somewhere. This also wasn't a transaction. God wasn't inviting the Israelites to pay up so they can have God's presence. God God was clearly already working as their liberator. So if God clearly doesn't need financial resources, then God's doing something else 
in this moment, inviting the Israelites to let go of their wealth, however large or small, to hold on to something else. It seems that God is setting the tone for the increasing movement of God into the neighborhood. Because in the story, God does respond to the Israelites as they offer what they have in pursuit of God. Once they'd completed the tabernacle, the sanctuary that God had invited them to build, it says that, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord and the beauty of God's love and goodness filled the tabernacle. The necessity of finances is a major focal point within our lives. I mean, our experience teaches us that, and even though it feels crass to say it. Whether we feel that it's not a big deal, which usually indicates that we have more than enough, or it feels like a daily conversation because we don't have enough to get by, wealth and finances takes up a disproportionate amount of our thoughts, time, and actions. And that being the case, God wants to teach us how we can release this important part of our lives, our finances, in order to place that value and that focus on God. As a church community, a lesson that we're trying to learn over time is how to offer our whole lives, including our finances, to where God's values lie, so that our values can lie there as well. Like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then, to see that shift happen in us, where our values begin to merge with the values of God, so that we naturally want to offer our lives, including our finances. Where two decades ago as a church, we spent very little money on serving the tangible needs of vulnerable people in our community, we now use over 70% of our revenue to serve those with the most obvious needs. And that discipline naturally leads to our values moving in that direction, although it remains a discipline. And for the Israelites, they didn't just give generously as a community. I mean, they did give generously. The story says that after the instructions and invitation, morning after morning, they gave so much that they had to be instructed to stop because what they had given was more than enough to do all the work. But they gave generously in the different ways that included all of them. If you remember the list they're given, they're instructed to give everything from gold and silver to wood and goat hair. I mean, on the gold to goat hair spectrum, everyone was invited to give. And the story says over and over, all who were willing came and gave, not just all who had a lot of the most valuable resources. It was the willingness that God was inviting from everyone. And it was for the benefit of each other to experience the presence and glory of God in a new way together. I mean, it was contributing together and experiencing together. In our context, as serving a God who continues to move towards greater presence with us, we celebrate the advent of the fact that God, through the person of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus, who, as Annie taught us two weeks ago, teaches us to live in radical acceptance and service with people who are the most vulnerable among us, because God actually desires not sacrifice, but mercy. And who, as Patty taught us last week in relation to indigenous peoples, invites us to seek the kingdom of God, not as something to be imposed by us, but actually as something to be looked for in ways and places and among people that we haven't looked for the presence of God. This is where, as a people of God now, we're invited to make space for God's presence to dwell among us, to see God's glory living, dwelling, residing in our neighborhood, and in particular in the way that we love the most vulnerable among us. 
So as we continue to grow in mutual relationship with friends who are experiencing marginalization across our three locations, our eyes are being consistently opened in new ways to challenges and barriers that our friends are experiencing, which we otherwise wouldn't be seeing. And through those relationships, we're being drawn to want to offer more, offer what we can to meet those needs alongside our, alongside our friends. In the spirit of wanting to take the next responsive step across all three of our locations, in Vineland, in Welland, and St. Catharines, there's some exciting possibilities that are emerging. And they're gonna take all of us putting in time, a willingness to share our abilities, and intentional financial contribution. But we believe that taking these next steps in response to our most vulnerable neighbors is one way that Jesus can move into our neighborhood, in our lives, in new and deeper ways. So as we share these possible directions together, I'd like us to consider, what's my place at this banquet table, this potluck of giving and sharing, and how can I not only anticipate how God is going to show up in God's glory and with new ways as we serve each other, but actually be one of the people who participates in picking up the tab? So, at Southridge's Vineland location, it's been such a pleasure to get to know friends from the Caribbean who spend up to nine months of the year here in the neighborhood, working as migrant farm workers. Now, over the years, as the steps of reaching out relationally turned into friendships between many people in, at Southridge and many migrant farm workers, those friendships opened up real and vulnerable conversation. And it was from these conversations that different possible next steps began to emerge. I mean, at first it was the chance to actually be a community together, to plan events and share fun and joy through meals, experiences, games, and music. But then it became clear that there was a disparity in our community that we may be able to sit down to a meal together and feel like equals, but those among us who are working as migrant farm workers often have major barriers to accessing basic healthcare, even though we we're all living here in the same community. So the response was to make healthcare more accessible right within our church building. So other needs like transportation grew over the years and people from within our church stepped in and have made ongoing changes to their lifestyles to look out for the needs of their Caribbean neighbors. And now a new season is emerging. I mean, it doesn't seem right that our friends and neighbors should lack any of the kinds of support that they need. And so we're starting to try to work to consolidate the systems of support that migrant farm workers need, that we're connecting with, and the ones that we're starting to develop ourselves. And we're trying to do that in kind of one location, the church space that we've been fortunate enough to be able to use over the years and we call home. So it, be, uh, so it can be easier to find the existing supports which often feel obscure to migrant farm workers so that more supports can be offered to meet other needs that aren't being addressed. I mean, essentially, we wanna create a Caribbean community center to serve existing and emerging needs alongside our migrant farm worker friends and for us to connect and grow together in relationship with our friends from the, uh, the Caribbean. At this center, we wanna grow our healthcare there's an, already an amazing clinic for primary care run by volunteers and medical professionals together with the intention to keep getting better and to streamline the process and with follow-up appointments with specialists and maybe even to grow into more types of healthcare offered directly on-site, I mean, including those that Southridge members in healthcare are offering to volunteer their time to provide, like massage therapy. We want to make space for legal aid. Our friends from among, the, from among the legal professionals at the Niagara Community Legal Clinic have been offering incredible aid throughout COVID via WhatsApp. 
and the intention is for them to set up shop at Southridge and be able to offer their free and confidential support in person. We've been working to recreate a social drop-in space that offers the chance to get away from the farm and relax without having to spend the money that everyone's working so hard to send back to families in the Caribbean. And there's a big screen for watching cricket and soccer, computers, Wi-Fi, cold drinks, air conditioning, table tennis, a pool table. And the intention is for migrant farm workers and Southridge community members to hang out there together. We're also working on developing a new thrift space. Throughout the year, there are so many specific needs for material items, from clothes to used air conditioners and canned goods, that we want to create a spot that Caribbean farm workers can come in, access good quality donations for the material needs that they have and that they can't easily get when they're out on the farms. I mean, creating a, in creating more of a centralized community center for migrant farm workers, our hope is that we can move closer to reality where our friends and neighbors have access to whatever they need. We want to be able to basically help them to be seen. We want to be able to work, walk alongside them and for them to really be full-fledged community members. And we realize that we're privileged enough to experience that and they should as well. We believe that we'll encounter God in new ways in this space. And we want our Southridge community to be the people to pick up the tab, so to speak, through our offerings, our time, our talent, our treasures, to make this space and these programs an increasing reality. I mean, Southridge is well in location. We've journeyed over the years with people in the low-income community, first through partnership with Rose City Kids, and more recently through the Southridge Kitchen, addressing food insecurity, offering one-on-one -on -one social support programs. And we've been learning a lot through this time. We've started to experience how unmanageable it is for so many of our neighbors to keep their heads above water, even their most basic needs for food and housing. And we've responded with social supports to help battle isolation, and food supports to bring a greater degree of food security, and we're gonna to continue to grow in these connections. But we're now finding that it may be time to respond to the desperate need for new forms of affordable housing for the low-income community. In the Niagara region, there are over 24,000 people who are living with what's called core housing needs, where their housing experiences are utterly inadequate. I could refer to people who are living in a home that's of such poor quality that no one should have to stay there or that doesn't meet their needs for accessibilities, but they have nowhere else to go or can refer to people who find themselves needing to couch surf with friends and family because they have nowhere to go, a sort of hidden homelessness, or people who are experiencing homelessness to the degree that they've ended up on the streets. And many friends in Welland are living with these core housing needs as we speak. And what's amazing is that there are incredible people and organizations in the Welland community who are working on some great projects, building more housing, coming up with financial models uh, for how to make it work with people on uh, Ontario works or disability. But it's clear that it's a losing battle and that the needs are growing faster than they can be met. And what's emerging is a way for us as a Southridge community to help meet those needs by creating an alternative approach to affordable housing. One that allows community members ourselves to take ownership through our resources and that we're fortunate enough to be able to share. So, of the 24,000 people experiencing core housing needs, about 20,000 of those people are single and in need of a home just for themselves. Within Welland, there's a uniquely creative landscape of bylaws that creates an opportunity for smaller living spaces to be built on private properties to increase housing options. So we're seeing the, op the opportunity for three steps. First, to use the property at a Welland location to, to construct a series of pocket neighborhoods basically communities designed to intentionally foster a sense of community through shared outdoor gardens and spaces 
with specifically designed individual homes of around 500 square feet. They're big enough to be a dream home, but small enough to build and maintain affordably. This community nestled in our own backyard would be open to people experiencing core housing needs, to connect them to our meal support programs, and to be supported socially by our Southridge community. And the second part has to do with confronting nimbyism. You know, not in my backyard. You know, most people want to see positive change happen for vulnerable people. We just don't want it to happen too close to us in our own backyard, in our space. I mean, this is the opposite of the value that we see in Jesus, who chose throughout his life to be up close and relational with vulnerable people in ways that impacted his own space and his own life. And this is something that we're just starting to talk about with an emerging partner, Danielle Strickland and her affordable housing initiative called IMBI, or In My Backyard. In the same way that we can experience the opportunity to build our in our own church backyard, the real change starts to happen if we can see individual units being built in yards of homeowners around Welland and the surrounding areas. I mean, the idea is that these units can generate some income for the landlord and provide new spaces for friends in need of housing and also provide social support. And we think that there are some of us here at Southridge who might just be the people to both work with the, NIM with the IMBI team to develop and build these units and to offer our own spaces. And the third and last part is helping to grow this whole movement beyond Southridge so that we can see enough houses being built in and around Welland as a grassroots movement of neighbors helping neighbors to make a difference for the thousands of people who don't have homes. We're dreaming about this and we're gonna be talking more about this later in the winter, inviting people to join a short-term group to start this practical exploration in Welland together. And lastly, as always, there are dreams that are swirling around our St. Catharines location, around our shelter community. And our shelter director, Annie Froze, is gonna share some of that with us. So the project that we're talking about, uh, dreaming about, and even beginning to pursue around here is a potential build on our Glenridge location site. And you know, it's important for us to, to recognize that this didn't come about quickly or even easily. Instead, we've been operating the shelter for just over 16 years now and feel as though um, during that time, we've gotten some inside um, scoops into what actually would meet the most uh, unique and dynamic need of our community, of the people who we serve who are experiencing homelessness. And throughout the entirety of the shelter ministry from the very, very beginning and what has informed so many decisions since then has been this determination to serve with excellence and with dignity to whatever extent we can. And part of that in the phrase that we've used around here a lot is that we're never satisfied to be just good enough. Um, what I mean by that is we feel as though when we're working with uh, people who experience life on the margins, that a lot of what they have access to is, uh, is the leftovers. And it's the stuff that, well, this is good enough because they wouldn't get something better somewhere else. And we have actively tried to fight against that, uh, that that is the threshold for the services that we provide. Instead, want to go above and beyond and serve with dignity and serve with excellence. That paired with the fact that the ever-dynamic, ever-changing needs of our community have continued to inform how we've grown um, and how we need to continue to grow. 
The third thing really that has informed a big part of this move towards dreaming of what we could build has been the fact that we are quite literally bursting at the seams of the space that we're in. You know, starting from the very beginning, we began with some retrofit space, not totally sure what this adventure that God would call us to to start a shelter would actually lend to, let alone be 16, just over 16 years in and still pursuing uh, being able to serve more and better. And so all of that has led us to the place that we're at now, hoping and dreaming and beginning to plan for this project. The project that we're talking about is actually a five-story building that would operate or take place right in the back of our Glenridge building. Uh, so it's kind of where our garden is right now if you're familiar with that space. Um, our tentative dreams around that would be to incorporate as much of the best practice that we've learned from the experts to ensure that everything that we're providing in a building like that um, can meet the actual needs of our community. And one of the things that that means is that any solutions that we look to provide for our friends um, need to have the potential, the opportunity to meet the complex needs. Simple solutions will not, will not meet those complex needs, but complex solutions can. And so we know that in incorporating best practice, we see this first level of being a bit of a mall of services, um, using the best practice of a service hub in a no wrong door model, we would incorporate as many low barrier services as possible to ensure that physical health, mental health, um, recovery needs around addiction supports, things like foot care clinics, um, all of those kind of things, including dental, uh, cafe for some community space, potentially space for uh, life skills development, that all of those would exist and be very low barrier on that main floor. If we're dreaming big, we would say the next floor up is a, is a shelter. We would certainly not be abandoning that, but feel like we would probably do shelter a bit different, probably in smaller dorm, dorm sizes um, and with the opportunity to be accessible. Right now in our entire shelter system, there are no fully accessible shelter beds, whereas we see the demographic of who's experiencing homelessness to be an aging population with increasing mobility needs. And so that is an absolute need, need that needs to be met. Uh, our third level up, we would imagine it being probably the most innovative in that it is the most wet cement of our project at this point. Uh, we're not sure if that means that there's something uh, connected to some health funding that we could potentially leverage, or if it means that those would potentially be shelter beds operating in more of a dry shelter option for people who are genuinely pursuing uh, addiction recovery and being able to support people along that spectrum. Our fourth level up, we would believe, um, is most, most is best described by a rapid rehousing program. So recognizing that there is a ton of need for housing, but not all of our people are housing ready. And so to be able to provide some short-term housing that can move people out of shelter right away, and during the duration of the stay at short-term housing, be very heavily supported to ensure that those individuals are ready uh, to move into their next steps. Um, that that would be the goal of that fourth level. And then of course the top level being more long-term supported housing, recognizing that there are individuals in our community who need support to be able to live independently, but deeply desire and should be able to do so. So we wanna be able to wrap around and still be able to provide those opportunities as well to be able to provide a whole range of support options and a whole range of housing options. That would ultimately be the goal. Of course, all under the umbrella of providing opportunity for community and connection and recognizing that truly in all of our experience, friendship really is what makes the difference. As a church, we have a thrilling future ahead of us. 
where God can fill us with even more of God's presence through some exciting building projects and places that are emerging from real relationships. But here's the thing. I mean, these projects and places of experiencing more of God's presence among us, they don't pay for themselves. Big opportunities to experience God require big commitments, big sacrifices, and big investments by the people of God. I want to challenge us not to behave as though our compassion, our heart for justice, and even our actions in relationship are where this ends. When Jesus talked so much about his heart for the poor, he taught on the relationship between our faith and our finances more than any other subject. That's why it describes early followers of Jesus as selling their possessions and serving the poor. Because there's an integral relationship between lives of compassion and justice and lives of financial stewardship and generosity. In all honesty, I struggle with this. I mean, I've often felt that the financial side of giving doesn't apply to me in the same way because I felt that I'm young, which feels decreasingly relevant, but still. And I can give financially when I'm older and have more resources. Or I feel that I live compassionately in other ways, that I've always chosen community and relationship over paychecks. And so, really, I'm already giving. But while I don't believe that there's a legalism or guilty obligation that God operates with when it comes to our finances, I also don't want to miss the fact that specifically in giving up my finances to honor God, regardless of my income bracket, is one of the key ways to place my value not in my own financial security, but in the presence of God and seeing the glory of God through Jesus moving into the neighborhood, not just for me, but for the community around me. We've said before that church is a potluck meal. As we become more of a missional community with all of us at the table together, it's on all of us to be all in, not just in our time and talents, but with our financial treasures too. This season, as we continue to work together as a community and then start laying the groundwork for these projects, let's increasingly release our finances as part of the tangible action of increasingly opening our hearts and our lives to the opportunities to experience God's presence and become the kind of people and places where hope lives.